Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you'd be interested in checking out our third annual facilitation summit. Due to the pandemic, we're going virtual this year, and we've got some really awesome things waiting for you. We have 18 master facilitators, and each day, six of them will be sharing 20-minute lightning talks in the morning and facilitating workshops in the afternoon. Each attendee will get to see 18 talks and three workshops over three days. There are plenty of networking opportunities to connect with other attendees, plus games and prizes. I would also like to thank Mural, our exclusive conference sponsor. Mural is an online collaboration tool that we'll be using during the conference. Hope to see you there. Register today at voltagecontrol.com events. Today, I'm with Haley Temple, Learning Experience Lead at Mural, where she designs holistic learning experiences to help people build remote collaboration confidence. She is also the host of Mural Backstage Pass, a weekly session that offers a behind-the-scenes look at how online visual work happens. Welcome to the show, Haley. Hi, Douglas. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's get started here with a little bit of the backstory. How did Haley Temple find her way at Mural? And, you know, what's that origin story look like? Yeah, sure. So I started my career in the corporate world at SAP, and I was learning design thinking. I had some really fantastic managers and mentors who were teaching me design thinking and how to use it and how to apply it with our customers. And I loved being part of, at that point, it was a lot of workshopping, being part of workshops where meeting magic was happening that you, I love that you, that magic moment where everyone feels like, yes, the, the, I got what I wanted out of it. I feel like I contributed and I wanted to, I wanted to be able to create that. And I saw these awesome facilitators making that happen, but then there was this contrast between the workshops that we were hosting for our customers and then the types of meetings that we were having internally. And I was actually falling asleep in meetings. Um, my, my manager would have to kind of elbow me awake and make sure I was listening to that PowerPoint or that executive talking about something and it was made even worse by the fact that we we're working on a global team, so the schedules were really to accommodate lots of different people, which meant meetings really early or really late. And then a lot of our meetings were virtual. So we didn't have that FaceTime and that meeting magic that we were that well that I found really incredible on line. So I thought, first of all, how do I stay awake in these meetings so my boss doesn't have to elbow me every time if, if we're in person or online? And then how do you capture that meeting magic when you're working with your coworkers and especially if you're working virtually? So the first thing I did 
was grab Sunny Brown's The Doodle Revolution, and and I got to meet her at your uh, controller room conference, and I absolutely geeked out, by the way. I don't think she realizes <laughs> that, but I, I lost my mind. And I wrote her a note and was like, you inspired me. Thank you. And started learning how to sketch concepts and ideas. And that was going to be my way of staying awake in meetings was I'm going to take notes. If I need to know what happened in the meeting and translate it to visuals, I can stay awake. That's, that's going to help. And it keeps my hands busy too. I, I get really restless sitting in meetings. And I start daydreaming about something. And once I started taking notes visually at first, it was just I kept it to myself, and it was just my little notebook. But people were actually peeking into my notebook and saying, "Can you share that with me? Can you? That's really cool. Can you take a picture of that? And I want to keep that for reference." And I found that clicked for people. They were also kind of bored in those meetings, and <laughs> they were kind of standing there out of respect. But the visuals were a way to almost make meetings an artistic moment. And and a, a magic moment that people enjoy. And slowly but surely, I built confidence to then share my visuals with other people. And people would ask me to actively come to meetings and take notes. So that is how I started working visually. Now, from the facilitator perspective, I <laughs> eventually, my mentor said, all right, get up there. You're going to figure out and facilitate, facilitate these meetings too. And I'm grateful for that, that they kind of gave me that push. I also think it, I felt really empowered to make that meeting magic happen. And there wasn't necessarily them, I didn't really learn a, through a course or anything, but I learned through watching my managers and others and seeing what they responded to, seeing what they enjoyed and what helps people feel like, yes, we accomplished what we wanted in the meeting. So I was basically thrown into it, but that's the best way you learn, right? You make a lot of mistakes, mm -hmm. you <laughs> learn along the way, and um, and then, of course, with the nature of online meetings, it was also, can you do that for us online? So, Yeah, you know, I I agree on the, the practice piece because there's so much that relies on confidence and in the facilitation realm, especially. And I see so many budding facilitators, you know, they'll go get certified and some, some methodology or, you know, take some training. And then, then they come to me and they say, well, I've got this big meeting with the executive team and I'm really scared. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like all that training did was, tell you a bunch of things and a bunch of concepts, but unless you put, try that thing on, you know, if you, until you put that suit on, do you actually experience it and know how you can be authentic and how you can personally hold space. So I, th I think that really resonated for me as you were telling the story of just kind of, you know, trial by fire, just get in there and do it. Yeah. And I, and you raise a good point about people when they start facilitating for the first time, they, I mean, I, I mean, it's not like I'm better anymore. I still put a lot of pressure on myself. Like I have to do well and I have to help meet the meeting goals. And it's important to remember that 
And I, I appreciate that when I first started facilitating, I was never alone. So it wasn't always just on me. I was always at a co-facilitator. And I think having somebody else in the room to help you hold that space and make space and have someone to kind of signal off of and help manage the conversations and logistics side of things just really helps with boosting confidence. And then this is easier said than done, but also reminding people who are in the meeting that this is their meeting and they need to speak up and and help get to the goal just as much as you are. And that's why it's important to remind them why they're there and what the purpose is and what value they're supposed to bring to the meeting so that they feel as equally invested in making that a success as you are. So That's right. And, you know, <laughs> I've even seen scenarios where as the participants are being brought up to speed on that at the beginning of the meeting, it becomes clear that there are two meetings that need to happen. You know, half the group is at one altitude and another half is at a different altitude and, um, coming to some realizations like that can be really powerful because maybe we can split them up or maybe we can say, all right, well, let's continue with half the group and the other half will meet later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's when your real facilitation craft comes in when you made an agenda, you made a quote unquote, a plan, but then you realize that you have different dynamics at play and you need to, Impro- not improvise, I mean, in a way it is improvising, but look at your toolkit and be able to respond in real time to the situation. And how do you do that? And that's where I look to, yeah, your own skills and ex- kind of your own little toolkit and pull things out. But then also your your co-facilitator or whoever is that coming presence with you in the room to say, okay, let's, uh, let's take a coffee break. Let's talk about this and decide what to do next. And, and that person is someone who's kind of a sparring partner with you. I love that. And, you know, and I've actually found it easier in the online space to bring co-facilitators because, you know, it's not an extra hotel room. It's not an extra flight, you know, not an extra expenses and to actually take someone along. And I found clients are a lot more receptive to, to, to that. And also it's, it's maybe even more necessary where someone can manage the tech uh, while someone else is managing the content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Online me- online meetings is, and I imagine you and, and other facilitators have, as this year has given us a, a an interesting constraint where we can't have any travel or travel bans. What do we do in that situation, right? Um, how do we bring people in? In a lot of ways, it's afforded us those opportunities to bring co-facilitators in and people who are eager to to learn and eager to participate but right you need to have a lot of it's out of necessity too if you as a facilitator your job is to be actively listening and kind of reading signals and helping make the space for work or for conversation it really does help to have and give gives me a lot more peace of mind that there's somebody there to manage the experience and the logistics but then also of course there's thinking about the technology and the logistics for the participants too because you don't ever want the tech to get in the way of what we're there to accomplish and more often than not it is at the moment but as people have been getting more and more comfortable 
with working online and collaborating online, it's it's gotten better, but there's always it's always a challenge, <laughs> of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've taken to like having a workshop before the workshop just to make sure that um, everyone has the 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 one on one stuff, right? Like, do they know how to use the chats and Zoom? Are they very are they comfortable enough with the the basics and mural? Because I, fi- I find that there's cognitive overload. If we start the workshop and we're just starting to dig into hopes and fears or, you know, talking about purpose and they're, and they're also trying to figure out how to zoom in and out and add a sticky and mural, like they're really, they're confronted with two big things, right? They're learning a tool and they're also having to contribute in a meaningful way. So we've, we've, we've begun to decouple those things so that people can do something just, you know, we ask them really simple things like, what, what did you eat for breakfast? It's like, no one has to think very hard. And they can spend their faculties on learning the tools and getting up to speed. So that's something that's definitely a challenge that we we see a lot is how do we decouple and reduce that burden of the tools? Are mm-hmm. there things you mentioned picking up on signals? So are there are there things that that you've been noticing that that you've started to refine? You've been doing remote work long before COVID. In fact, we were just talking about how you spoke at Control the Room, and people were like, "Yeah, maybe," but. Um, I don't know. It's a lot more fun to get people in a room and now we're kind of forced to do these things. Um, so I guess with just, you know, you've been thinking about this for a really long time. What, and I, we hear that so much as reading the room is really hard. Um, and in fact, I heard, yesterday I heard reading the room is so much easier than reading the zoom. <laughs> oh, I love that. And that's true. Oh my gosh. Um, things I've picked up on, yeah, and and <laughs> nodding back to the the control the room talk and digital facilitation, and I'm I promise I did not plan for this to happen, everyone, to make <laughs> you guys go online. But I it's it's seeing facilitators like you and and others who are who have had to adapt, and I'm so grateful for the ways that facilitators have learned to bring their practice online because you've expanded my thinking so much in terms of how do we bring people together in a digital space and what does that mean and what do we bring from the in-person experience online and what is uniquely digital or virtual that we can that we can celebrate so I'm trying to think of some examples that where I've refined my practice and digital facilitation. This is kind of a simple one, but just check in, checking in with people and <laughs> confirming humanity is mm. has been important, um, especially because what I what I'm hearing a lot from people, and we just did a backstage pass on this, is people are feeling really overwhelmed, and of course, moving between Zoom meetings and moving between not having those opportunities between meetings to really connect with each other. And so when you're saying, and I love the mantra, you know, get the work done in the meeting, work is also social and work is playful. And so you need to have opportunities for that Mm -hmm. in the meeting. And I think people take that kind of stuff for granted. And the impact of that is you don't have as much trust or you don't have as much psychological safety or you yourself aren't fully present 
So I'm just thinking of an example of that is I did a check-in in a backstage pass. It was kind of a fun one that someone from our mural customer success team shared with me, which was, what, which Nicolas Cage are you today? And it had all these different pictures of Nicolas Cage <laughs> just making goofy faces and uh, some of them looking frantic, some happy, some blissful, and asked people, put just chart yourself where you are here and where you're, where are you at today? Like mentally. And one person put that they were feeling meh and someone, and someone later on said, this is really helpful and made them feel connected. But I, I stopped to ask her like, why are you feeling that way? And she said, you know, my son, he has his, he's has his sixth birthday today and none of his friends can come hang out with him. And I want to make, I still want to make this special for him. So I took a moment to ask people in the Backstage Pass audience, because there is an audience component to Backstage Pass, and said, everyone, let's make sure that so-and-so's son has a great birthday, and let's brainstorm some ideas for how to make an awesome virtual birthday party. And and this is actually a warm-up that you did in one of your trainings I attended, Douglas, was like, what's the theme of the birthday party? And I think it was soccer. And we ended up having like all these mm-hmm. ideas come in from the audience to make that experience and, and crowdsource ideas for this awesome party for her son. So I think that's just an example of just being able to make space for people to be open to say, yeah, we're not okay. We need moments to check in. We need to share and exchange those things with one another because that's what's going to make people feel comfortable to share things out later on and have those real conversations. Yeah. It also, if we can remove the veils and the shrouds that like block our vision, then that's going to improve experiences. For instance, one simple example I could share would be fear Mm -hmm. prevents people from learning. And so if people are struggling with emotions, then they're not going to be able to show up. And so taking some time to allow people to like shed those things will allow them to to totally be present. And so I think that's really phenomenal that you did that. And I guess I, I wanted to also talk a little bit about the point you were making around just checking in. Because I feel like so many people focus the conversation around, you know, how can the tools solve this? And sure, you can watch the cur- movement of cursors. You can see, it's one of the reasons we use the two camera systems so that we can see where people are doing work and make sure people are, are active and contributing and aren't stuck. But at the end of the day, I think it's really the responsibility of the facilitator to design in moments where it becomes clear. These assessment points, you know, how, how do we know if mm-hmm. people are where they need to be? And how do we give people the opportunity to say they aren't where they need to be either. I mean, I think there's so many different, like right. to your point, doing a pre-session that, that I could see as like a, like a little social hour in a way or a half hour, 15 minutes or whatever, and giving people, mm-hmm. removing that fear of I can't use the technology or I don't know how to use this. Okay, perfect, great. We're taking care of that. Now, I don't feel comfortable sharing something that might be uncomfortable. Great, we've done that. And then giving space and opportunity for people to say, yeah, like I don't get it or I'm not where I want to be or this doesn't make sense. So a lot of times I like to ask, are there any clarifying questions 
I'll explain something and I try and show an example mm. too, in, especially when I'm using Mural to say, you know, here are some options for you to contribute to this conversation. You can add in a sticky note, you can add in an icon, you can add an image and at the end and kind of recap at the end. So by the end of this X number of amount of minutes will success looks like this. Are there any clarifying questions? And then giving that moment of pause and reflect so people get to say, okay, I think this makes sense. I think I got it. And then I don't know if, it, and I say, if you need help, just reach out to me, type in Zoom or type in Slack or wherever we're communicating. Because sometimes uh, I'm trying to think about it in the in-person experience. If someone doesn't get it, then we'll come up to you or raise their hand. But how do you make that space for mm-hmm people to kind of back channel with you too. So it's thinking all those experiences. That's right. Especially if they're in breakout rooms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'll kind of bounce between breakout rooms. I'll say, I'll be here. So if you have questions before you go into your breakout room, like hang out and I can answer that because you need to, I mean, a lot of people also don't feel comfortable asking those questions in the larger group too, right? Like they don't want to look dumb. So Mm -hmm. it's, making yourself available to answer those questions or be their, be their guide. Here's a pro tip. Like if I have, if I have a a sponsor inside the company, Mm -hmm. you know, like a manager or director or someone who's like kind of purchased the workshop and I'll tell them, I'll say, Hey, if anything doesn't seem clear, ask a really dumb question because you asking the dumb questions makes it really safe for everyone else cuz you're you're the you're the leader you're the one they all look up to so even if it's even if it, even if I'm not unclear just ask some dumb questions early on it really helps me out <laughs> That's great that's like kind of planting somebody there to advocate for well yeah thinking like there are no you know dumb questions but making people feel like it's okay and that's that psychological safety that comes in I love that That's a good tip Mhm you know, modeling is so important and you kind of were alluding to that too. You know, it's like, how do we, how do we kind of demonstrate visually what the outcome is going to be? Uh, I love that because often when you give, you can, you can be so explicit and give people like really, really great instructions and the language is really spot on. But if they check out for one second or zoom blips and they miss some critical word, they don't get it. Right. And Fast forwarding them in the future so they get a visual representation of where we're going. What's that road? What does that roadmap look like? You know, it's, I, I like to remind people, well, especially, you know, young facilitators, or I would say, I should say, like new facilitators, that the curse of knowledge is a real thing. And so, like, you've been studying your agenda for a long time. You know how these things work. And imagine going to a new city and you don't have a map and you're trying to figure out your way. Someone just said, oh, yeah, just go down here and, you know, two clicks and take a right. And it's like, whoa, is this what am I doing? Is this right? So I love that you talk about showing a visual of where they're going to go so that they have some sort of, you know, model of kind of what the results might look like. Yeah, it's uh, Mark Tippin. He always says, show what good looks like and, and show what that output is so people have that North Star. And even while you're doing it, I think some, and Mark does this too, which I love, he'll sometimes do things and make a little mistake. And that's another way to give that safety too, right? Is you show vulnerability as a facilitator and you're not perfect all the time. And you, this is not necessarily your show as much as it feels like the pressure's on. It's, it's really about 
making the group successful. So reminding people of your own humanity <laughs> is really important too. Yeah. Uh, and the curse of knowledge too is not just the the agenda, but the technology too. Right? You talked about that that cognitive overload mm. that comes with the technology. So it's trying to remind yourself in a way too of what are the what's the simple what are the simple instructions that I can provide and what how can I break this down in a way that makes it digestible and um, makes it easy for people to access so doing that that check-in or that warm-up whether you use technology some sort of technology like mural or not um, making that fairly simple so people feel comfortable and they feel that they're dipping their toe in the pool a little bit before they have to jump into the whole using the using it for the whole meeting because I've heard people say if if you don't have mm. if you don't have that moment of okay I think I I get this and I think I know where we're using it and I feel comfortable using it then they disengage from the conversation and the collaborative meeting entirely and that's that is a tough place to be. <laughs> Absolutely. To that point, you know, I've sometimes introduced it on teams just as a Mm. a visual note taking tool. You know, I'm just taking notes and they, most of them just watch. And then, you know, over time they're like, okay, this thing's kind of cool. I want to, I want to kind of lean in and use it. So that's another way too. You don't, you don't have to have everyone, you know, if people aren't quote unquote comfortable getting up to the whiteboard, then you can be at the whiteboard, like taking drawing and taking notes and things. So I wanted to come back to something you mentioned about, and this is, I'm going way back to the beginning of the, of the conversation where mm-hmm. you talked about SAP and the meetings that you're creating for customers were different than the ones that were internal. And so I want to, I want to unpack that a little bit. Why do you think that people struggle? So even people that design great meetings for customers, why do they struggle so much with their internal meetings? Hmm. I don't ever think it's out of, um, like I want people to sit through a boring meeting and want to fall asleep, right? It's I I think we cut ourselves a little bit more slack in terms of preparation for meetings when we're doing them with mm-hmm. our teammates. When it's a customer, we want to put on the best experience for them and we want them to feel like they've invested it's worth their time and investment and their value to to be with us in this workshop environment and bring out the sticky notes and <laughs> have the warm-ups and the games and stuff. And when we come back together as an internal team, I mean, putting, putting that kind of experience on feels like a huge, huge lift when it doesn't necessarily have, I think there's ways to bake in little moments in your own internal meetings to make them fun and engaging. But I think that we also get settled into routine in a lot of ways too. So we have recurring meetings. Mm. We put them on people's calendars and it's just, okay, well, let's meet again and talk about this. But we don't stop and assess why we're meeting and why the people that we're meeting are in the room. And... I don't think it's necessarily laziness. Maybe it's just inertia that we get comfortable with that mm-hmm. and how things are. You know, as you were talking, I hadn't thought about this before, but as you were talking, it made me think about how, you know, when you first start dating someone, you know, it's all about putting on, pulling out all the stops 
And then over time, you start like, okay, I'll, I'll wear some sweats around them. <laughs> and the next thing you know, it's like, I mean, I'm eating bonbons on the couch, like watching horrible TV. <laughs> exactly. Like they're seeing it all, right? Um, and, and I think it's a similar thing, like where it's like, oh, we don't have to, because these people respect us. They're part of the team. Like, um, I don't, uh, but the client, I have to go out and pull out all the stops and impress them and they're paying for the time. Which is really, I mean, it's, it's, I think both, whether it's like the, the spouse or the, or, or the coworker, it's like, man, they're the ones that like, they're the ones that are in it with you to the end. And so like, why we should be pulling out the stops for them. But and I guess it's just human nature to, to, to gravitate toward what might seem comfortable, even though in the meeting setting, it's like, we're not talking about sweats. We're talking about like, you know, doing things that are like everyone like is frustrated by. So it's really no, it's really fascinating. Yeah. And if, if anything, I love that analogy too. It's so, it's so accurate. And you're like, yeah, I'm not dressing up anymore. Sorry. <laughs> you know what you were, you know what you were getting into. Um, but it's, it's, if anything, it's those internal meetings are really cool opportunities to work in different ways. And it, it kind of become, I don't know, I look at it as those are kind of safe spaces to try stuff. Yes. Like, um, I want to try something with a customer or with an audience on backstage pass and I'm not sure how this is going to go. So I'm going to try doing this with you guys first and see how it goes. And they're the ones who are able to give candid feedback and say like this worked well or didn't go well, or you can read the room and see things, read the virtual room, this virtual zoom. (laughs) And because we, I mean, thankfully at Mural, especially, we are always cameras on, so you can read the room, and people are willing to give honest feedback about it. So, um, I think, and I think people also don't think of themselves. I don't think people. This is kind of my my mission: is people don't think of themselves as facilitators. They don't think the people. So, our meeting workshop, our our workshops at SAP. People, I've had someone introduce me once as like, she's the one with the magic and the sticky notes. <laughs> like, okay, cool. <laughs> That's what, <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that people think it's magical, but I also want people to realize that it's not this other thing that other people do and that you don't do. And mm-hmm. your meetings are inherently have to be driven by slides and one person talking. I, I, I would love it if people... I want people to realize that facilitation, it's an essential, I mean, it's an essential skill. It's something that you need, if you're having meetings and you're hosting meetings and making space for meetings, you have an opportunity to bring methods and bring approaches into your work that make it more exciting and that make it more engaging and meaningful. And, oh, it's giving me chills. This is like, this is, I'm really excited about thinking about being able to help people realize that. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, this this notion of the future of facilitation and facilitated leadership. I, I I get excited thinking about organizations, you know, waking up to that and starting to, you know, build practices around it and really honor it. And I see I see the wave coming and it's just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. And making it I don't know, thinking about helping other people who say they're not facilitators or they don't know where to start, making that an easier transition. So maybe if they don't realize they're a facilitator yet or they don't realize the techniques and stuff that are out there, giving them a, an on-ramp and some guidance. 
Mm. Yeah. yeah, you know, we, we like to say that uh, there's no such thing as bad meetings, just bad facilitators. Hmm. Interesting. And when people call a meeting, they're you're, you're facilitating. Whether yeah. you're being, and if you're not being intentional about it, if you're not actually thinking and preparing and showing up in a way that makes the meeting awesome, then you're just being a bad facilitator. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you talked about falling asleep in meetings, and so I'm, I'm curious, like, what's your what, what's your what's your favorite anecdote to to you? You know, if you're in a meeting and you it seems like it's about to be a snooze fest. Um, how do you show up as a participant to prevent that? Hmm. I'm trying to think and looking back at meetings where I fell asleep. <laughs> I mean, there were the ones that were very, cla- I imagine very like classic where you say there's one, there's an executive standing up talking and pointing and proposing a concept and there's the rest of the group just kind of sitting and listening and not contributing. So I think a couple of things. One way is if, if I have an opportunity at a break or something to talk to the, the meeting host or sponsor or facilitator, whether they know it or not, and invite, you know, invite people to share their ideas. So can we before we jump back in, like, let's just capture some, you've been, you've shared some really great insights and ideas so far. Like, why don't we um, hear from the rest of the group, like give everyone a few minutes to jot down their ideas and share that out and get, gather some of that collective knowledge from the group. And sometimes, sometimes people are like, no, it's okay. But overall, I think it's, I think trying to let whoever is that meeting host know, Hey, like what you're sharing is really valuable, and I imagine that people have things that they want to share about this topic too, and that are interesting to them, and um, that'll probably be interesting to you too. So why don't we leverage that? And having and people are always like pleasantly surprised. Like we're asking for your opinion, and it's like, yeah, this is a a, a meeting of the minds. This shouldn't just be a one person show. Um, that helps drive that engagement and doing it in a way where it's, it's going to be helpful to the host or helpful to like whatever the, the purpose of the meeting is. Another way I've done it is honestly, I'll just stand up and start drawing or start taking notes and use those visual tools to, to bring, I don't, know, I don't want to say magic. Like I, I, it is kind of magical when you when people start seeing, capturing, recording um, for a couple of reasons. Because the person who's hosting the meeting feels like they're being listened to, and that's really, really valuable to them. The people who are, quote-unquote, observing are also, are also able to capture that information visually because we think – Pictures and visuals are more powerful to people. So um, capturing those visuals really is delightful for me, but also helpful for them and to process that information. And then I've also seen, and I had my favorite part is people start contributing. So maybe they don't feel like an artist, but they'll jot things down on sticky notes and they'll bring them up to the quote unquote wall or they'll message me in zoom or they'll add a sticky note onto the mural and i welcome that like this is not just me being the artist up here drawing this is our way to document the meeting and that 
that to me felt so, so good to be able to make space for people to contribute. So yeah, those are a couple ways. And just standing up helps a lot in mm, a meeting. I yes. hate sitting in meetings. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Yes, standing up, even just changing. You know, I don't, I don't think we humans were meant to be in one position for long periods of time. So mm-hmm. yes, movement and and changing scenery, and it's really difficult in the virtual setting because in real life meetings. Even if you were at a table, you might move over a little bit. You might go throw something in the trash can. You're kind of mixing it up and and fidgeting and things. But in the Zoom world, you kind of got this little, I don't know, two foot by two foot area that's in view of your camera. And and we all kind of sit pretty still, kind of poised, (laughs) um, trying to make sure that we're in lower thirds or whatever, or, you know, law of thirds. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's tough. Have you seen any good uh, icebreakers or, or activities to get people moving in different ways? Yeah. I, there's one from Shane smart shared this one with me that I enjoy. It is literally, it takes a little, I mean, depending on the group size, but, um, it's a great, and you also don't breakouts, I imagine, but it's, Everybody sharing kind of what their expectations or their hopes are for the day. And as they're doing that, they do a stretch and mm. everyone else has to kind of mirror that stretching pose, whatever, if it's a yoga pose or something. So if, if, I, if you're saying, Haley, what do you hope to get out of today's meeting? And it's, okay, well, I'm going to put my arm over my head as I respond. Everybody else has to do the same. Mm. And it's... A, that's a nice way and a lot of people will say that's the first time I stretched today or moved out of this spot for the first time it's really good um, and it gets people I mean the same thing with an in-person session is that movement helps energize and invigorate them a little bit um, I've also seen I mean in terms of I don't know if it's energy not physical movement but there was one that Ward Bullard who's on our team did where he he gave the group this really long book title to read and as a team say the book title out loud but everybody could only say one word and only one person could say it at a time so if two people spoke said the word you had to go back to the beginning and try and say it and start all over again um and that one was kind of like a mental a mental energizer mm. in a way and people are laughing. And I think even that kind of little movement of like laughter and moving in that way helped energize the group too. That was Absolutely. A fun one. You know, you'll probably remember Solomon Masala from control the room. Just thinking about that one too. He, well, he published a, a long list of, he's really uh, all about embodiment. And he, he recently started teaching at the Waldorf school. He's teaching DEI to the sixth and seventh graders at the Waldorf school. And, Mm. um, he, but before he took that gig, he was, uh, he was translating a bunch of his embodiment stuff into online versions. It's like some really great stuff. We have it published on our toolkits or methodologies and frameworks website blog or whatever and then just the other week i saw one from jesse shaturnsis and she she did this really cool thing where 
she told everyone in the Zoom, it was like 30 of us. She's like, okay, everyone has to duck out of the way or move out of the way of your camera. So you're off, you not turn off your camera, but move out of view, except for three people. <laughs> and so you had this dynamic of like people moving and then peeking over to check if it's it three people or not. And then, so there's like some communication dynamics as well as people moving and people were doing silly things as they like moved off screen and yeah, it was fun. That's awesome. That's, and that's the, I mean, in terms of, I was saying before about like the giving a, talking about digital facilitation and then with COVID, everyone having to move online, people doing, a, other facilitators doing a really great job using that, that really like a design constraint to think about how do we make moments like that where we need movement, where we need um, safety, where we need consensus. Like, how do you make those 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 moments in a meeting happen online? And that's been a really awesome and inspiring, a great thing to come out of COVID <laughs> is that people are are adapting and finding awesome solutions. I'll have to check out Solomon's book. I want to see, or his, his methods. I want to see that. Yeah. I think my favorite one was, uh, there's one where you have, uh, you put people into pairs. You, well, you don't have to do it in pairs actually, but you have people, if you did it in a group, you would have one person be the, the person who's going to make some changes and they, they go, they turn their camera off and they change three to five things about themselves. Uh, like they might take their glasses off. They might change the part of their hair. They might put on a hat or, you know, some people might like button up an extra button or, or whatever. Then they turn their video back on and everyone, and you have to guess what they changed. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So I love this notion of a, well, I said notion. <laughs> I love this, um, the difference between, or, you know, declaring the distinction between a notion and an idea. And often, you know, people in innovation groups will talk about how many ideas they collected, right? And I, I, I can't remember if it was GE or who it was, but they, their innovation group got really specific around, no, those aren't ideas, they're notions. And it's not really an idea until we, like, develop it and turn it into something that's like actionable you know it's like it's getting to be more of a concept right hmm. and so i'm curious what notions you're you're walking around with right now that you're really excited about exploring you don't necessarily these are things that maybe there's no proof you haven't had a chance to try it yet but like it's like it's starting to like it's a seed that's starting to to take root and you're like hmm there might be something here Hmm. I mean, a lot of, I don't know if it's a notion, but I'm just kind of observing that a lot of, right now we're very virtual, right? Everyone's on, in video conferencing and online, but soon, I don't know when because counts and stuff are going up with COVID, but people are going back into the office and people or are saying we want to just be back in person and face to face again. So how, and this was a challenge before COVID, but like having those hybrid meeting experiences and designing for that's, that's going to be a big challenge. And 
I did some of it before before the pandemic hit, but um, how do you make a space where everybody feels equal opportunity to contribute and feels equally invested and equally um, able to collaborate with one another? And I know for, I don't want to have assumptions about it. I know things that have worked where you have everyone using a device, an individual device, and you make space for people to connect who are all virtual to connect um, and have time with people who are in person. But that's something I'm really intrigued by and trying to understand what that's going to look like. I'm trying to think of like a notion that I have. I think that's pretty prescient though. You know, we're definitely going to be dealing with hybrid situations in the future where, you know, not everyone can get be assembled or, you know, for, for various reasons, some people are going to be remote and some people are going to be together. And how do we hold space for that? And I've seen some people already doing it mm-hmm. um, because their, their, their risk tolerance is pretty high. So they're, you know, holding a meeting where some people were remote and some people were in a facility, quote unquote, social distanced. And um, I, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating design challenge because I would argue you can't social distance with, uh, with sticky notes and, or even an avocor or something. Right. I mean, if, right. I mean, the, uh, the whole points that we want to dynamically and real time all collaborate. And if we're st- taking turns and disinfecting between, <laughs> between contributions, that's not really, that's not really feasible. And so how do we design to make sure it's, it's safe and fluid and, and even beyond the social distancing piece, there's, there'll be constraints to think about. So I, I think it'll be a fun transition when we're, when it's a healthy and safe time to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And as you were, as you were talking about that too, it's, I am, I'm wondering how people and how people are going to now that they've done the online remote experience and they realize it's, it's yeah it's nice not to have to travel yeah I have to figure out how to use the combination of technologies but it really does create this opportunity for me to connect with people around the world to not have to travel away from my loved ones not have to stay in a hotel I think a lot of what we've been seeing the last couple of months is how do I the question like how do I bring my in-person experiences online and I'm wondering what what people are going to enjoy about the digital experience that they're going to want or expect even if they don't realize it in their in-person meetings and the design challenge is accommodating for that because there are certain things that are great about digital sessions that you can't get in person or that you have to it's a lot more challenging to bring together in person and vice versa. I mean, being able to go out to a, a dinner or something together in person, you can't really, you can't really do that. Are you, it's, it's different. So I, I'm, I don't know if it's necessarily a notion more than just a question about um, what does that look like in the meeting, beyond the meeting and how do we make space for that? Considering now people are, embracing or or getting used to this digital meeting space. So Haley, it's been fantastic chatting with you today and just want to thank you for being on the show. And um, before we go, I'd like to invite you to 
leave our listeners with a parting message. A parting message. The first thing that comes to mind is you <laughs> you don't you have an opportunity, a unique opportunity to if you're listening to this podcast and you are obviously somebody interested in what makes meetings magical, you have opportunities and you need you can take them to make your own meetings magical. And whether you are the host or you're quote unquote not the host or you're the facilitator, or whatever that role is and the participant, um, take opportunities to take little risks that help people drive, feel more engaged, feel more excited, whether that's drawing or stepping up to do a method, to like practice a method or getting people stretching even because that makes you kind of a, a bright light in the wake of boring meetings. And, you know, it's in the wake of Zoom meetings and stuff like that that are back to back to back, you have the opportunity to help make one of those meetings sparkly. <laughs> and mm. it, even if it's a risk that doesn't work out, it pays off because you're taking something that's mundane and you're making it magical. So um, I encourage you, even if you don't feel like you're a facilitator or you don't have, quote unquote, the, the, the skills to do it, those little risks are going are gonna to help amplify and make your meetings better, not just for you, but for other people too. Thanks for being on the show, Haley. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com.